Welcome to the Negotiation and Conflict Management podcast series. I'm glad I know that now. This series is brought to you by the NAC team. NAC, N-A-C, stands for Negotiation and Conflict. NAC is made up of a team of scholars who are passionate about the teaching, research, and practice of negotiation and conflict management and all related topics. We offer you this podcast series to highlight the work of global academic thought leaders who have a knack for negotiating and managing conflict. We hope you enjoy this episode. I am Michael Gross, your podcast host for today. Welcome. Our podcast guests are Mina Andipan from the University of Toronto, Estelle Archibald from Case Western Reserve University, Deborah Kidder from the University of Hartford, Tyler Okimoto from the University of Queensland, Gregory Paul from Kansas State University. Today's guest and podcast is from a panel symposium sponsored by the Conflict Management Division and the Gender and Diversity and Organization Division of the Academy of Management. The symposium took place at the 81st annual meeting. Today's episode is one of a five-part series on restorative justice in the workplace. We thank our guests for participating in the panel symposium and joining us. Let's listen in on the symposium as it was recorded live at the conference. So let's have, give everyone a minute, a free for all for whatever you wanna talk about, all about those all important encompassing global questions. <laughs> one minute or less. Maybe Greg, you want to start since you haven't started on one. And you gave me <laughs> this is one of those tie together questions. I'll, I'll I'll do my best. I am uh, this conversation uh, has been fascinating to me. I've 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 been learning a lot because it helps me to think about all the different ways that we can and should be researching and talking about restorative justice. So to Deb's point, we should take seriously our, um, our opportunity to be public-facing scholars uh, and uh, write about restorative justice in a way, to Bradley's point also in the chat, that resonates with people, that helps people to understand. I think to Estelle's point, we talk about restorative justice in a way that reflects on our own, on our own experiences uh, and invites people to see themselves in the practice of, of restorative justice. To all the points that have been raised here, I think it's important that we look at restorative justice from a multi-level perspective, systems, relational, individual, even down to the, the micro-interactional. So there are still lots of ways to advance the work of restorative justice. Uh, and I think as, uh, as we continue these conversations um, and keep reading and, and bringing in new ideas, that that will help us to, uh, to keep going. All right, thank you. Nina, what would you like to say, addressing all those questions and any of the thoughts you have? Okay, in 60 seconds. Um, well, I'm just going to add one more thought, which is that, um, so I know the research shows us, right, that issues of ethics can, especially unethical behavior, which is my area of research, um, can continue over decades in certain industries. And I think what's important to address here, too, that we haven't had as much time to talk about is the fact that 
um, the experiences of injustices that people, you know, have in an organization, they can carry with them over years, right? And so I think one of the hopes of restorative justice is that if you get into the mindset, if you've experienced restorative justice, hopefully it's something that you can take with you from one organization to another that, you know, helps you with advanced future relationships. But it's really important to, under, I think, we probably need more research on and to understand really that people's experiences, they don't, they're not a contextual, right? They, you come with your past experiences. And so I think these feelings of injustice can just continue over time. They can fester if they're not ever addressed. And I think to me, that's really the hope of restorative justice that you're saying you can really move on. You can overcome this obstacle. Um, you can still have a productive working relationship afterwards. You don't have to leave your organization. You don't have to leave your industry, et cetera. Um, and so to me, that's really kind of the, the positive, I guess, viewpoint of restorative justice and what I would you know, hope people would take away from the conversation that we've had or one of the points people would take away from our conversation. Thank you. Estelle, now it's your turn to have a, a one answer, an answer one minute with all the pressure. I know. Well, I, I just want to highlight something Greg said earlier. Um, he talked about the making of justice. And I, I mean, that stuck with me. Um, because I think the making of justice is actually an embodied process. It, it is about our enactments of justice. It's about how we feel and what emotional responses we have to um, wrongdoing and harm in our environments. And then it's also about how we move through the process of justice making. Um, and for me, Restorative justice has the potential to raise that through what we call practices, restorative justice practices. That is something that we experience over time. It's not a quick fix. Oh, I'm going to have a circle or do a conference and poof, it's all better now. It's something that is a relational process that we move through um, and that we have to uh, hold ourselves accountable to over time. Thank you, Deb. The pressure's on brilliance in one minute. Brilliance. Great. Um, so I want to uh, reiterate what we were talking. Um, so Mina brought up uh, the social media and Greg was talking about socialization. I think our culture now with the internet and uh, hate culture and the anger, um, I worry because I see in my own students that they have even more difficulty having difficult conversations. They have difficulty having conversations, right? Because their form of communication are these little teeny texts. Um, so that if anything, restorative justice is going to be more difficult, but is absolutely even more important now because we're not having, we're losing the ability as a culture to have those difficult conversations. Thank you. Tyler, you have the final brilliant thought in one minute or less. Oh, crap. Uh, <laughs> um, as we're moving towards practice, uh, you know, putting these things into practice and, and, and making that routine, I think there's a little bit of a risk that we should also be aware of in that once restorative justice takes on this bit of a scripted uh, process uh, aspect, there's, there's a lot of potential problems with that, right? If, if you are expected to apologize, you will probably do so, but it's going to be inauthentic. And even if it is authentic, people are going to believe that it's inauthentic. Uh, 
And then when it comes to the victim, you've been apologized to, you're going to really feel that pressure to forgive. We know that there's heavy pressure uh, on victims to forgive when they've received positive amends. Um, and in fact, if you look at uh, Fair and, uh, and Susie Cox's um, conceptualization of forgiveness climate, it's actually very extrinsically externally driven. There's an expectation to forgive. Uh, some of our most recent work is actually showing that that expectation to forgive really undermines the potential value of forgiveness for, uh, for the forgiver, right? They're expected to forgive, and so they do so, but they do it while still harboring uh, vengeance and uh, while not necessarily gaining the psychological benefits that come from that. And so, so you know, for us as, as you know, researchers speaking to practitioners, we just should be cognizant of, of uh, how this can tr potentially translate into the negative aspects of these behavioral norms. Um, now, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, this positive spin on this is if everybody's doing restorative practice, what that does is that encourages everybody to really lift their game, right? So you, you might feel the need to apologize, but if you really want to apologize, that just means that you're going to have to go that extra step. And so we're really, another way to think about this is as, as this becomes more uh, our way of doing, <laughs> that um, this is really how reconciliation norms evolve um, and, and hopefully how uh, conflict management as a generic practice within organizations, uh, we can be part of that evolution. What we learned today from our podcast guests in part five of our five-part series is their final thoughts on restorative justice. As our series name states, I'm glad I know that now. Once more, I'm Michael Gross, and on behalf of all of us, we thank our guests, Nina Aniapan, Estelle Archibald, Deborah Kidder, Tyler Okimoto, and Gregory Paul. And on behalf of our NAC team, Deborah Sai, Michael Gross, that's me, Jennifer Parlamis, Laura Reese, and Ming Hong Sai, thank you for listening. For more information about this and every episode, you can check us out on the podcast notes on the NAC website at www.conflictandnegotiationteam.com. That's Conflict and Negotiation Team is one word. There you can find additional sources and links to materials cited in each episode. Please tell a friend about our podcast, and we hope you will join us next time for another fascinating discussion about a topic you'll be glad to know about.